there is this belief that a farmer should be wearing bib overalls, driving a 1955 Chevy pickup, <laughs> and still produce food. Yeah. We're not going to feed the world that way. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, and welcome back to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. I'm proud to be a third-generation animal trainer, caretaker, and animal welfare expert, following in the footsteps of my father and grandfather. My goal with this podcast was to introduce you to the people I've heard from all my life, the experts who truly live with, care for, and work with animals, the passionate folks who truly understand animals, not the vocal minority, the animal rights extremists, the noise, who don't believe we should work with animals at all or have them in our worlds. Today, we're going to talk about fairs, county and state fairs. Ah, I have such fond memories. As a little girl, picture a quintessential, beautiful little county fair, the Sauk County Fair in Wisconsin. And my first ballet recital, complete with Pink Tutu, took place on the stage at the county fair. And another fond memory, I entered one of my mother's performing poodles in the talent show for pets. And surprise, we won. <laughs> a little unfair. I had this beautiful, well-groomed white poodle and a poodle that's professionally trained. And we did beat out the competition. You know, county and state fairs are just such wonderful places. They possess an agricultural component, how we grow our food, how we take care of animals, livestock. And they're also a great training ground for the youth, the 4-H and the FFA groups. It's such a wonderful experience for these youngsters to bring their animals to the fair. Unfortunately, the fairs are always picketed by the animal rights community. They think it's horrible. It should be done away with. It's an archaic tradition. Nothing could be further from the truth. I do hope you go to your state and county fairs. My guest today knows all about this. She's the president of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. She also has a background in agriculture, and she's also been the president of a fair. We're going to talk about what it means for these youth and for the greater public to experience a fair and really learn about agriculture and animals. Marla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Heidi. It's a pleasure to be your guest today. I'm thrilled to have you. I know you're a busy lady and uh, love um, having interacted with you at fairs and uh, at our at our conventions, great, uh, great conventions that you hold annually and all of the training that goes on throughout the year. The resources of fairs, uh, the IAFE are insurmountable and fantastic. What I'd like to start out with is kind of the genesis of fairs. We know there are state and county fairs out there and how did, how did they all get started? Well, that's a great question, a great one to lead off with. I think, you know, for today's and today's society, we just, we don't really think about how they came to be. But quite honestly, uh, if you want to look at the true roots, we can go all about, almost back to the beginnings of civilization and when people began to gather periodically to exchange goods and services, right? You know, you might bring uh, the fleece from your lambs and I might bring a young ox and we come together and we trade, we barter. And that was typically centered around harvest time. So if we think about biblical times, if we think about medieval Europe, 
harvest celebrations coming together with the fruits of our labor became gatherings. And when those gatherings happen, you have exchange of information. And over time, what else comes along? There's probably some food that goes along with that. (laughs) There's some, (laughs) there may be some beverages, there's maybe some entertainment, but it becomes a community celebration. This particular type of celebration was formalized in Europe, uh, probably in about the 1600s, 1700s, with the organization of agricultural societies. Now, those types of events became a little bit more formalized, but quite honestly, it was the landed gentry in, in Europe who would bring, you know, their peasants, their serfdom together and to do it. But they were, the, the, the gentlemen were exchanging information, scientific information about yeah. how they were breeding their animals, crops, etc. Anyway, they would give awards. That model came to North America as people from England and Europe came to North America. So here uh, in the United States, there's a couple of different fairs, but one in Pennsylvania, uh, the York, it's now called the York State Fair. The York Fair, York, Pennsylvania, they had a charter from the King of England to operate an agricultural fair. And there wow. was a fair in, ex, uh, fair in exhibition in Nova Scotia that had a charter from the King of England to operate a fair. Those are the first two known fairs in the United States well over 200 years ago. The, the really cool part about the, the way fairs began is the exchange of information and still important today, agriculture and of course animals, like you talked about the, the wool and that type of thing. It was necessary, but it was a great way for people to come together and share that. And no doubt when people come together, you know, fun and entertainment follows, Uh, you know, the old, we must reach them to teach them. So we have to, we have to make it fun and interesting to get them there. So one of the, one of the tenets of an agricultural fair, I don't know if it's required or if it's just that it happens that way are the youth groups, the 4-H and FFA and, maybe some others. I've, I'm no stranger to fairs. I grew up, as as my listeners know, I'm a third generation animal trainer, animal expert, and uh, we've worked with animals in various settings and fairs are one of the my favorite places to work <laughs> with the animals. The crowds are wonderful and we have the livestock component and then usually we're exhibitors. I always love that the families they do this as families. So there's these youth bringing their rabbits or chickens or um, goats, pigs, sheep, whatever animal, and then bigger animals, the uh, dairy cattle or that type of thing, horses even. And I, I love it because I grew up this way as well, and these are more agricultural families. But they're there with their animals in their pens or right there beside them on the straw or bedding. And they put up their own little tent and their lawn chairs and they're having their potlucks and mom brings the uh, big uh, slow cooker and they're right there. But the interaction of those families, grandmas, grandpas, the moms and dads, aunts and uncles, they bring all the kids running around. It always strikes me as a great model to um, grow up in. And I grew up in something similar. But speak to what, what it means to be 4-H and FFA and how that interacts with fairs. Yeah, absolutely. So so if you think about, again, if we think about these origin origins of the fair and an exchange of information, and that's still very important today. So, yeah. you know, this is where we look at uh, if someone wants to improve their herd, obviously looking at the animals in competition is extremely important. So, and we typically in this industry call that the open show. So if we have the adult people, the breeders coming together to, for their open shows, but 
as 4-H, which is now over 100 years old, and FFA, which I believe is close on 100 years old, if not only, as youth development organizations, as they were created, the ties with county fairs and state fairs became absolutely logical because they were about agriculture. Uh, Obviously, both of those youth organizations have expanded their reach and what, what young people are learning because it's about raising kids. It's not about the animals. It's not about their projects. It's about raising kids, teaching them those youth leadership. But what has happened then is now then most fairs, and in fact, some fairs have only 4-H and FFA shows. They only have youth agriculture shows. Others have both the open and youth. It's a chance for the, the kids to learn how to take care of an animal, to understand what it means to have responsibility for another life, to understand how those animals play a role in society today, to know what it is to, you know, you got to do your chores before you go to work. You've got you've to go out and feed that hog or you've got to take your steer and walk it around, teach it to lead. You've got to give it exercise before you go to school. You got to do it when you get home. Cold, so- hot. Sunny, rainy, it, it doesn't matter. They all own rubber matter. boots. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's not only the animal interaction, it's the business of it, right? Because 4-H and FFA, as part of animal projects, uh, they, you're required to keep record books. So you're required to keep what, what does, what's the cost? How much feed are we giving the animal? What's the quantity of feed? What's the cost of the feed? What does it cost us to transport that animal? What's the cost for veterinary care? Learning about the interaction between human and animals and and the fact that we have to have biosecurity in our agriculture operations and how to protect the animals and how to protect the people around them. So those are all very important as well as tending to the well-being of the animal, making sure the animal is comfortable, it has ventilation, adequate food and water exercise. Those are all important tenets of it. So when we get that culmination and truly the county fair and or state fair becomes a culmination, whether it's an animal project, whether it's a welding project, whether it is a technical project. I just um, visited a fair in South Dakota recently and the 4-H projects that they had related to STEM, like Mm. building little robotic things or rocketry. It really is about everything, but it all boils down to this youth leadership development. And Heidi, you know, you and I both have seen this. I grew up in the 4-H and FFA system. I wouldn't be here today if it were not for those youth development organizations because of the things that you learn, the way that you learn to interact with people as well as animals is absolutely critical. I talked, there's a, there's a county fair in Southern Ohio and the manager, he's a volunteer manager, but he also is the principal of the local high school. (laughs) And he will tell you it's, he rarely ever sees a 4-H or FFA kid come into his office for any disciplinary issues because they're learning responsibility. And, And I often say to people, when I have a chance to remind them about what they do, why it's so important and why it matters, it's because you are raising the youth leaders who will become our leaders tomorrow. The youth that we see in these programs, and I, I can tell I get passionate about this, right? I, 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 I go off it. on a tangent, I love it. Yeah. you know, but, but they are, they're going to be your county commissioners. They're going to be your mayors. They're going to be your elected officials in your state house. I hope one of these days there's a 4-H or FFA guy that's a, or woman who's a president because we are teaching about 
leadership. And I think it's very, very critical. And as you say, it's also about family, family participation. Um, you know, I, I one of the best parts of my job is I get to travel and go to county fairs. I get to witness this day in and day out. And one of the absolute joys of my life, just two days before recording this, is on Facebook, I have some second and third cousins who live in Colorado. And between the two, two of the three sisters, they had seven grandkids participating in the county fair. One of them was the county fair princess i watched a live video of her hog being sold at the auction and they were all showing off their ribbons and it just made me so proud that that family tradition even though we're cousins separated by many many years and distances are carrying on that tradition with their kids oh absolutely and i love your passion for it and i feel the same way it's one of the reasons i'm doing this podcast because i want to tell stories about our interactions with animals and having grown up in a little different. I always say growing up at the circus is just like the agricultural families. We just travel and speak more languages. <laughs> but, <laughs> there you go. You know, but we, uh, the, the, the principles are the same. The growing up and finding out the world is not about you. And, you know, I grew up where we didn't even have electricity 24 hours a day because we were mobile. Uh-huh. So you grow up and you go out and take care of your animals and mm-hmm. everything comes before you. And you'll mm-hmm. learn a lot of good life lessons. Boy, the memories are just flowing as we're talking about fairs. I have such wonderful memories and places I so enjoy. I'm talking with Marla Calico. She's the president of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions and also grew up on a farm. One of the things, uh, you touch on two things, uh, these 4-H and FFA, they also run boards and Uh, My daughter in school was on a board unrelated to these, but the value of a young person, a teenager, being on a board and understanding how you have to problem solve together and you can't just, you know, go off on a tangent or to be part of the board, I think is spectacular. And what a great, uh, what a great way to come into your adult life with that already under your belt. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that starts at the local level. So FFA is organized according to a chapter. They elect officers. Officers have duties. They have projects as a local chapter that they want to accomplish missions and goals. A 4-H club is the same way. Uh, I I probably served as my 4-H club president before I was even in junior high. And so you learn (laughs) how you did. (laughs) You learn how to run a meeting. You learn how, again, to solve. You learn how to bring people together. So that's starts at a very, very young age. And then as we see across the country, um, many fairs have either a formal junior fair board or a youth advisory council, a youth yeah. ambassador yeah, program. Yeah. And they are taking, again, they're taking those individual leaders from their FFA chapters and 4-H clubs, bringing them together as a new unit dedicated to that particular fair. And, you know, the other thing about the county fair, again, you know this, um, the being in a board or participating on a committee or just your involvement in the fair in the ag areas, let's say, and you live in the you live in that community as we face challenges from our critics and from people who just are misguided about land use or that. I know I did a story for Protect the Harvest on comprehensive comprehensive land use plans and where they may feel they want to phase out some agriculture or that. One of the best ways to to be in a community where you can come back and 
have intelligent conversations and provide information is through the fair board or through your fair connections. A lot of times legislators are either on the board or at least they, they're all, there's some symmetry there already. And you need to know those folks as you're, as you're going through these struggles, which are very real for folks with animals, especially if you have property and acreage, it's, it's one of the places that helps you come together and, create a collective voice. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we encourage we encourage all of our uh, members of the IAFE to become uh, advocates with legislators to welcome them to their fairs, because we all know that legislators love to come to the fair. They do. Uh, a recent visit to the Iowa State Fair, the governor was there every day and walking the walking the streets of the fair, shaking hands, posing for pictures, right? Uh, we talk about the grip and grin and kiss the babies, and the politicians love to do that in a county fair or state fair setting, because it's, what, I mean, what is at the heart of a fair? It's wholesome family entertainment. It's the yes. community coming together. It is truly the time to do it. So so we encourage our members, we've got a, a little a little two-page document that's tips on tricks, tips and tricks on how to work with your legislators, invite them to your fair, things to show them, introduce them, to make sure that they fully understand the role of agriculture and communities today. Because here's at the heart of a fair. We can, th- you know, we could talk all we want about great fair food, we could talk about entertainment, we could talk, we can talk about youth leadership development. But at its heart, a county fair or a state fair, at least for our organization, if they don't do something with agriculture, well, that's not an agricultural fair. That's a festival. Yeah. And so when we talk about agriculture, it's very diverse. It is not only animals, it's also crop production. It's, is, as you say, the land use and how we manage this very important resource. And so that fair becomes not only an opportunity for the volunteers and the leaders of the local fair board to become advocates at all levels, but it also, when we bring people together, it's an opportunity for us to educate people who do not understand. So that then they are hopefully not swayed by the people who are very adept at messaging and sometimes the messaging is not fully on point, uh, that we can help them make rational, informed decisions by providing an opportunity, for example, for them to meet one-on-one with the farmer, to ask them questions if they want, to understand how uh, people involved in animals care for their animals. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And you don't grow up on a farm or involved with animals until you learn that. I watched I watched my dad cry more often over the death of an animal uh, when we, we ran a major dairy operation. And I don't care how long that cow had been with our herd or if it was a newborn calf. He cried every time. We all cried because it was important to our family. And, and you know, we did everything in our power to take care of him. So a fair becomes that place today ever more important where we in the fair industry can help share that message and help people understand uh, the true meaning of agriculture. Yeah. And uh, even more important today, for sure. I think it was, this is a few years ago, there was a statistic in USA Today that 90% of the United States are considered urbanites. So Mm -hmm. we're less involved with agriculture. We understand it less. And when we've got critics out there being emotional and philosophic and ideologic, we are sometimes, you know, in a, in a battle or trying to, trying to defend ourselves. Right. And Mm -hmm. so fairs are just one of the great places. And again, having grown up around that, I, I 
also believe that those aren't the kids who are out getting in trouble and they have a community <laughs> and they have responsibilities. Two important things, I believe, in raising children. And when we talk about the animals, when these kids have animals, it becomes, yes, you have animal care and, and the bigger animals, they're learning to lead or make move in certain ways for the show ring and that type of thing. But it's it's really pretty evolved as an animal trainer. I always watch these kids. I'll go over when if I'm at a fair doing my shows and watch the the you know the show ring. I'm always impressed because it's not just by accident. It's actually you're getting in an animal's mind. You're connecting with them. You're understanding them, even if it's their eating habits, let alone doing any training. But to me, that's really pretty neat and and especially for youth who are successful with that, who have cared for an animal and have seen the pros and cons and when it's not doing well or feeling well or that. Uh, that's just really cool to me, and that's something I think would make our world better. I think our interactions with animals make us better people, and it's, it's much more evolved. I, I would concur wholeheartedly. Um, absolutely. I know that from myself growing up and, yeah. and, you know, I had a, I had a dairy heifer, my first dairy heifer when I was 10 years old and learning how to, um, to communicate with princess was her name, uh, to, to have her perform in a, in essence, right. To yeah. show off, to show off her assets so that a judge could say, I think princess will or will not make a fine, mature dairy animal because of her structure, because of how she moves, she's strong on her feet. You know, when we listen to a judge give reasons, sometimes I, I think that that's a downfall to our fairs because most people don't understand what they're talking about. But when a judge is looking at animals in the show ring, they're talking about the future of that animal as a producer uh, to have progeny, to, to how well are they going to bear babies and how are they going to uh, have a long life. So those things all come into play when we look at that. So as a youngster, you learn again, how to communicate. And um, it's, it's fascinating. I love to go into a barn. I love, 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 love doing that part of the fair to watch the youngsters interacting specifically with their animals. It's, it's just fabulous. One of the criticisms I've had about fairs, and I don't want to scare you in saying that, is that, so I've been a spokesperson for the exhibited animal industry. I'm passionate about all types of animals and the communities that raise them and that. When, when these uh, families, the youth and the families do come to the fair, they're waiting for fair week. I mean, they're, or a couple weeks if it's a state fair, and they're really excited. So they'll put up their, they'll take one stall and make it kind of the stall where they could sit and visit with other families. That we have uh, people who are not animal people walking through the barns in many cases, some fairs that you're allowed to do that. And we're not educating them. They're seeing the kids kind of just want to hang out with each other and the families. And I totally get that. And I've worked with fairs and consulted a bit and said, we have to figure out how to make, and you, fairs are doing a much better job. It's really spectacular. Some of the cutting edge stuff is these ambassador programs and that, where we need to be able to articulate what we do and our passion for it to John Q. Public, who's in one of the 90% urbanites of this country, to understand because they're big critics. You know, there's plenty of information out there saying that 
we shouldn't have, we shouldn't raise cows anymore or whatever it is. I mean, it's just, it's pretty crazy, but I think, I do think the public takes something away from seeing those families interact, but I don't think the depth of what you and I might see. So I'm big on let's, and we've got to mobilize them because it also makes their industry stronger as they get older because they'll have more support of, you know, the public who will become legislators and media and, you know, all those things that will be countering what you're saying. I don't know. Yeah. And so, yeah. And to that end, I think it's, it's part of the reality of being the operators of a county fair or state fair today. So you have two different audiences to serve, right? So unless we have the barns and the show ring activities, the competitions, we're not going to develop those youth leaders, right? Yeah. And and they have specific needs, specific requirements. And part of that is the culture of being together and being together and being in the barns with their animals. And they are expected to get those animals in the ring. So, so is the barn, here's the question that we ask each other, is the barn the place to do the education or as we see now being done in so many places with high degrees of sophistication and excellence, do we share the agriculture story, not in the competition necessarily, but in a special exhibit. All right. And so we've got fairs that are investing millions of dollars in what we as an industry call agriculture education for the public, for the urban fair goer. And we could give you countless examples from the glass barn at Indiana State Fair, which is all about transparency in agriculture. You can sit down, you can have a satellite conversation one-on-one with the farmer uh, in his or her field. There are games that teach, there are hands-on activities to the Erie County Fair in Buffalo, just outside of Buffalo, New York, which has the Animal Agriculture Discovery Center that operates year round. They have teachers on staff. They bring fifth graders to the fairgrounds besides the fair where they have it, all the way to county fairs that, particularly up in the Midwest, there's a company called Pipestone, and they interact with many county fairs providing educational exhibits. Uh, One of the best that I've seen is the Pipestone Discovery Barn at the Sioux Empire fair in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you walk in and there's this one panel. And so it's, you know, Sioux Falls is a pretty nice sized town, one of the largest in South Dakota. And it tells you exactly how many acres of cropland, how many dairy animals, how many beef animals, how many chickens it would take to feed the city of Sioux Falls. And then you can see they've wow. got they've they've got awesome. mama pigs with little babies. They've got chickens laying eggs. They've, they're milking cows. It is one of the most phenomenal. And then you have a dedicated either staff or volunteers that are talking one on one with people about agriculture. So what have we done there? We've allowed the 4-H and FFK, FFA kids to do their job on the fairgrounds, right? And now we've created this other dedicated area. Sometimes we have to separate the two and we have to think about how can we tell the best story? So many fairs are actually doing that. And that's not to say that some fairs also involve the 4-H and FFA. They may give them awards for who can have the best educational display, right? Sometimes they have people walking through the barns to see how are you interacting with the public? Many, I know particularly FFA, they give training on how to interact with the public, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think we're, we're beginning to, to see an evolution in that, but I think it's also very important to understand that when it comes to that, we actually have two different audiences and two different purposes we when do. we're actually at the fair. 
You know, I uh, the Florida State Fair uh, years back, Lisa Hinton was the agriculture uh, manager, and she really educated me a lot and invited me to serve on the Animal Welfare Committee for the State Fair, which was wonderful. What a great, passionate group of folks. And we had some youth. And I visit the State Fair. I live in Florida. I, I love to travel, but I'm in Florida in February. I mean, where else, you know, Florida in February, I'll take all day long. So Glorious. I get to see the State Fair and they do a wonderful exhibit. Uh, I'm, it's escaping me what it's called, but it's basically a huge ag exhibit. It's got agriculture, like the crop stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. sure great statistics about feeding Florida and such. Mm-hmm. Here's the challenge. I was so disappointed because I was at the fair the last time I was there. It was packed, just packed. And our governor, Ron DeSantis, comes and enjoys it with his kids, which we love. So the, the, the ag area, this educational area, was not busy. So here's my plea to parents. And a lot of parents let their children guide them, like, where do you want to go? Encourage them to go into these or, you know, bribe them, whatever you have to do, because they need to see these. We can build them, but we need them. If the, if we build it, we need them to come and see it and, and have this information imparted and fairs do a spectacular job of being the kids making butter even and their seed Mm -hmm. necklace. And so they make it completely interactive. I mean, I've so impressed. I wish the exhibited side, you know, was, was as uh, progressive on that front. It's just so impressive, you know. And you have ag in the classroom, to your point, year-round. By the way, can we do that in colleges, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can exactly. Can change that well, a little bit for the college Yeah, level? well, you know, there there are some fairs that do a good job of incorporating some of that interaction at a special place in the livestock barn. Now, I don't know if Florida State Fair still does this, but they used to have, right as you entered into the animal stalling area, uh, we call it, in the kind of our lingo, is like an ask-me station. Yeah. And so, 4-H and FFA members would take turns being at the central location oh, with their great, animal, yeah. talking about their animal, uh, letting people interact with the animal and explaining that. And they took shifts doing that. And I think that was part of all of their leadership awards that, you know, if you volunteered or did that, you, you got some extra rewards for that. So those types of things are very important. And that's also why, for example, I mentioned this Pipestone Discovery Barn. It wasn't in the agriculture area. Yeah. <laughs> it was right at the entrance to the carnival. Yeah. And so where it was <laughs> where it was located, it was right on the main drag. And so as a parent, I mean, it was jam packed. I was there on oh, a weekday, a hot weekday, and it was jam packed at all the times because people, parents were bringing in and I talked with one of the operators and I, she said, we don't know how many families we've had in here today alone because it was, it was really phenomenal. So I think we're seeing some, I don't want to call it seismic shifts because it's been a long time coming. I mean, you know, I I was involved in a probably one of the first birthing centers at a fair that ever operated. That was back in 19... 8485 right and uh and we were one of the few fairs that that literally plan to have uh dairy cattle primarily giving birth at the fair so that we could help explain that circle of life and so you know we've seen a lot of evolution in the ensuing nearly 40 years and so it's uh it's great to see it and it's great to see it not only in large fairs but small fairs You're doing excellent excellent job with uh educating the public about the real story of their food and fiber. Yeah, it, it is excellent. And again, parents, please 
seek. It's not. You don't have to look far. You know, go to your state or county fair. Uh, Iowa State Fair has developed a program that's now being mimicked in other locations where you pay an extra fee just for the opportunity to go do barnyard chores in the animal learning center every morning. (laughs) You pay money so that your kids can learn how to do that. It's an extra ticket than a day of fun. And so other fairs are developing VIP experiences with animals or behind the scenes. So, Within our industry, that's how we grow and get better is we take examples of excellence and we make them our own. We change them and we continue to evolve by networking and sharing ideas. Yeah. Um, so I want, we're going to wrap up um, a couple things, though. I know 4-H and FFA, especially 4-H, by the way, FFA are the blue jackets, right? That is correct. That's there. Uh, But you don't have to, one, it's not all animal related, but you can participate in 4-H without having an animal. Oh, absolutely. Or you could have an animal that you could keep in your home. I know there are definitely equestrian programs that I'm always seeing at stables I'm at. Uh, one was near me was called the Barn Brats, B-R-A-T-Z. I loved it. And there were <laughs> yeah. kids running around and only one had a horse, but people were sharing horses and, but they had to do chores. They had to understand, mm-hmm. you know, and great, just great for kids. So I believe that's the case. You don't, it doesn't preclude you. You don't have to live on a farm to join these organizations. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. Gosh, no. And in fact, we see in a lot of areas, for example, Texas is really good about this. So, so one thing to note, FFA chapters are typically vocational agriculture is part of a school system, right? Yeah. So yes. the FFA is typically a part of a school operation. In Texas, they actually have barns on the grounds, animals that belong to the school district, and the chapter kids take care of them on a regular basis, and they show some of them from that stock they show. We have and that so, in Florida as well in many right. cases. Yeah, it's and fantastic. We have, we have 4-H operations. I've, I've seen it in goats. I've seen it in dairy. I've seen it in pigs where uh, a producer, they operate kind of a lease arrangement with the youth. So the animals are housed commingled on the farm. The young people have to come out regularly and do chores. There may be an exchange of money or it could be just the labor, but the, they're still their projects, yet they're owned by the producer and house there and then they help it you know it's almost like a 4-H club activity so we do see that we also see the other areas because agriculture is not just about animals and it's not just about crops what right. does it take right so engineering uh, the computer sciences uh, the business operations marketing all of those are now important project transportation. Uh, work yeah transportation those are all project work within 4-H and FFA as well I love that. So if people, do they just go online and look up FFA or 4-H? We have parents out there, I'm hoping, who are sure. saying, my kid needs needs to get involved in something. And right. you can't go wrong with these. They can yeah, so look here's up. A, yeah, here's a couple of tips on that. So FFA will be a part of a school. Okay. And typically, typically it's a high school operation, but depending upon the school, they may have a junior FFA program through uh seventh and eighth grade, right? So go first to your school district and see if you have a vocational agricultural program and if there is an FFA chapter. So that's going to be for the older youth. For the younger youth, starting as young as eight years old, there's a a Clover Kids or Clover Bud program. So 4-H is an operation of university 
extension. They're tied with the land-grant university in your state, right? So, for example, in Missouri, it's the University of Missouri. Uh, and, and so, define the university extension. That's the best way. So, look for university extension and the name of your county, and then you will get linked there through the County 4-H program. I say this about exhibited animals, zoos and circuses and wherever special events. You know, we have such critics out there, and I'm glad we didn't focus on this our whole time, but I do want to say this. To believe, you know, some of the stuff you hear about farmers or animals or that and these things that you hear about and make front page news. And I have friends who are not um, animal related at all and they'll bring it up and I try to ignore it and then I have to say something. But I always say to believe that some of the things go on that you're told go on. And of course, there's always sensational video. um, But you have to believe that every person involved on that farm or that area is, is involved or okaying negative things or participating or turning their head to it. That's not realistic. And that's not what's happening because when they come out with some of this nonsense about, I mean, we just vilify farmers now and some of the hardest working people on the planet, frankly, none of us would be here. We'd be starving without them. But I I always say that, that to try to find reason with people to say, you do realize it's like saying in your workplace, if, um, this person is horrible. Everybody there is just covering it up or not, you know, saying it's not true. And that's not happening. And I just, I'm trying to say that in a way that I hope provokes some reason or thought to not just be the happy emoji and the care emoji or the angry emoji. I always say there's the middle emoji, the thinking, you know. And so, you know, at least get the other side of the story if you're. We don't ask you to agree. I just want you to be educated and informed, which is why I'm doing this podcast. I think we need to be able to hear hear the stories that are out there. And if, if things are, are off track, prosecute. Absolutely. We have plenty of laws in place to prosecute bad behavior or mistreatment of animals. We don't need bans and we don't need to vilify entire segments of people who, by the way, are the salt of the earth people in, you know, in my book. So I want to let you speak to that and then we'll wrap it up on a happy note. <laughs> sure. Well, we could probably spend several podcasts and I'm do- I'm glad that you're doing this, but yeah. you know, really it, it, in essence, it comes down to, it comes down to philosophical beliefs yes. and it comes down to groups who are experts in messaging, who uh, know how to take snippets. And we see this, it doesn't matter whether it's animal agriculture or even in politics. I mean, we see, Absolutely. we see the same thing. We take one tiny little thing and exploit that. And it doesn't speak to the whole, it doesn't speak to the individual the animal or the industry right so but but we have groups that are experts at doing that and but a lot of the philosophical comes down to this there is this belief that a farmer should be wearing bib overalls driving a 1955 chevy pickup (laughs) and still produce food yeah we're not going to feed the world that way no and it the philosophical belief that an efficient large operation cannot at the same time care for the land and animals is entirely false because if you don't care for your land your land won't produce if you don't care for your animals 
you're not going to be able to produce. So it becomes philosophical about the use of animals, about the use of land. So for that segment, you may not be able to change their mind about their philosophical belief that use is wrong. But to find the middle, to understand how your food is produced and that it is produced with stewardship and with care is the ultimate message that we need to get across. I will say again, my dad cried. We milked 250 head of cattle, which in the 1970s was a huge operation. Yes. My dad cried and wept every time we lost an animal because we cared for those animals. And I grew up with that belief before I had could do anything. I had to care for those animals. And if my dad suspected in the least <laughs> that I got angry with a stubborn calf, oh my, I heard about it, right? And so it doesn't matter. And, and if we want to be efficient and if we want to feed, which will soon be 9 billion people on this planet, we cannot do it with a farmer on 20 acres and a 1955 pickup. We just simply cannot do it and we can't afford and there are people going hungry today because of laws that have been passed that make the simplest protein in the world eggs be unaffordable we that has happened and so we've got to think about how can we efficiently safely produce food to feed people who cannot otherwise produce it for themselves. And I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that agriculture today is doing that and it's done with care for the animals and care for the land. There are real people out there doing very hard work that are getting vilified and it just makes me crazy. We are not the problem in this society by any means. (laughs) There's a lot of things we need to fix, but you know, so I so appreciate having you on. Anything else you want to add? Anything you want to wrap up? I'll give you the last word. Well, I, I would hope that people listening to this uh, would look at their county fair or state fair with new eyes. And if they are in a community that has a fair, take an opportunity not only to go and take your kids, but get involved. Most every fair I know is looking for volunteers. And I will tell you, it can be an awful lot of fun, yeah. an awful lot of fun uh, for if you got a teenager, it's a great place for some extra summer money for a you know, a week or two week commitment. So get involved with your local fair and help make a difference in your community because each fair is about a celebration of a community. I've so enjoyed talking to Marla Calico. She has such a wealth of information. And for those listeners out there who still aren't convinced, this is a true win-win. Go to your state fair, certainly your county fair, visit the agriculture areas, talk to these folks, watch them take their animals in the show ring. I challenge you, not to be impressed with these amazing youth and their animals. Check the show notes for some links to some great interactive experiences with agriculture. I'm Heidi Harriet. I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Animal Tales. It's really important to me to provide this information, provide the other side of the story about these amazing people and their animals. I'd certainly love your feedback. You can email me, animaltalespodcast at gmail.com. Also, please subscribe, rate and review us, and please share this with others. I hope you'll join me next time for Animal Tales. 